Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We do this every day. I'm Pat Mulroy, the supervisor of the World of Learning Institute. The World of Learning Institute provides virtual world language instruction and other courses like calculus and chemistry when it's difficult for a school or district to find a teacher. We're here to talk to you today about what we do every day um, that makes virtual learning authentic, relevant, and engaging. And you can contact me if you want to know more about that at pmulroy at theworldoflearninginstitute.com. Um, I have Chris and Olivia back with me again today because uh, our conversation was just too rich the last time we met. Um, and I just thought we just have to keep this going. It's a conversation probably in and of itself is just fine, but we kind of got to the point where we were really talking about the community inquiry model last time. And Chris and Olivia and I just know that there's way more to kind of dabble into. And we wanted to talk about, you know, is a template a formula? Is that gonna hold teachers back? And um, so I'm gonna have Chris and Olivia kind of uh, introduce themselves briefly as we get back into this conversation today about these All right, thank you again, Pat. My name is Chris Davis and I'm a virtual learning specialist with IU8. I come to this role um, with experience as a teacher. I taught art and digital media um, in at a middle school setting for a bunch of years. But I also then after that position went to work for an online learning organization where my work was, was helping other teachers create virtual content. And that's still what I do now for IU8 in this current role. Um, it shifted a little bit. So now I also work a lot to develop uh, online learning for teachers in all different fields, not just um, virtual learning. But so that, that's kind of how I come to this conversation and, and uh, love having, this, love having this, this talk. This is what kind of drives me, this whole idea of what, what makes a great learning experience is really what what I love learning about. So, and Olivia is great at furthering that conversation. Thanks, Chris. My name is Olivia Grugan, and I am also a virtual learning specialist at IU8. Last time I shared um, about my first experience in an LMS and a learning management system, which is while I was a brick and mortar teacher um, and, and Tyrone Area School District began using Canvas. I guess the angle of introduction that I'll share this time is in my current role. Um, I have transitioned to a fully virtual and fully remote role um, in the sense that I am virtual. But I always say, like, when you say, like, a class is virtual, like, each one of us is still in our own place, interacting with people in person without computer screens, whether they're our classmates, our spouses, our children, our, you know, students are in classrooms with their teachers, um, and so like the, the, um, using the learning management system, the asynchronous space to bring authentic real life stuff that we're still doing out in the quote unquote real world, right. right. And use the virtual space to connect us to people who aren't in our own community, who aren't sitting right in front of us. Like I am far away from a lot of my students far enough away that I might not drive, you know, to the same space to see them, but they are sitting with each other. So they might chat with each other in Spanish and I might get to experience that through a video recording, through a post in a learning management system. Um, so that's where the, my experience in the brick and mortar and in the virtual world start to kind of intersect. 
Yeah, and I think that's such an interesting, because I, I've, I've been working virtually now for, since maybe 2013. So, you know, for a pretty long time. And I feel so connected to some of the people I work with. And I think um, there's not a formula to that. I think some of it is just getting comfortable and reaching out and using different technologies in ways that, you know, do make the experience. It doesn't feel virtual. It feels real, you know, and <laughs> it does. It really does. It feels real. And so I, I don't want to discount the, the value. And I don't think that this type of working or learning is going to go away. It's going to shift. And I think it's important to be flexible with that. And I think, you know, as we finished up our conversation last time, I think with the community of inquiry model and those three circles, you know, we talked about, you know, not becoming so formulated that, you know, every teacher feels like they have to do it the way we say it's important to do it, right? Like if Pat said, there's these three circles, hit them all, you know, it, bec it becomes inauthentic because it's not in their voice. And so I think, Olivia, you're really passionate about this. You've been really thinking about, you know, how do you have some structure without making formulaic so that the experience, like the student experience, which is what we we are all aspiring to have that student experience be relevant. Mm -hmm. I'll let you guys pick that up for me. I think it's really, I have a lot less experience than Chris than you do. And I, so I'll, I'll be curious if you still feel this way, but I just think it's really hard. Like it's hard to be a teacher leader supporting other teachers in building their courses. I have a little more experience than some. I probably have less experience than others. Um, I have read about it. I've thought about it. I've played around with different templates. I've shown different templates to you and gotten feedback. And then I go like yesterday, I met with two teachers and said, okay, like here are the templates. Templates meaning I've created something that has that what I hope provides structure for them to fill in as the content area experts and as the teachers of the students, right? And um, in this case, they're literal, they're Google Docs for people to put their right. um, course plan in, and then we will make that transfer into an LMS. Um, and personality matters so much, and that's a, like that's a good thing. But you know, there are some depending on which teachers you're sitting with and working with, just like our students, some want, you know, everything outlined and every step explained to them. And I respect that. And I know that that's out of like a professionalism and a, a desire to fulfill all of the expectations. And I also then am concerned that in providing that, I might not leave room for that teacher's creativity, which I know is inherently there in all of us, right? And then on the other side, you have people who, whose thinking is to kind of like throw all kinds of stuff at the wall, which is great. But at the end of the day, somebody has to put it into a course that is navigatable and smooth <laughs> enough. Right. So if you leave the open canvas out there, you know, bless those students. Me, Cause you? they're going to, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> How could I, um, <clears throat> you know, like the students at the end of the day are going to have to get into this thing and navigate it. So it has to have some rationale and some logic too, you know? So 
I have come, I mean, we in our talking have really, I've like really jumped on these two words. I want to provide a structure for teachers to build courses without providing a formula, meaning something that has no flexibility. And I think that as it's almost like the longer you do something and the more people you add to it, you, you think, oh, just by doing something for a long time, we'll inherently get better at it. But I think if you're not intentional about it, the longer you do it, it starts to shift on that continuum from structure towards formula. It becomes more and more formulaic. You know, it's almost like, I don't know, making copies of a, a key for a door, you like move further away from the authentic if you're making copies of the copies, you know? And so like, how do you get yourself back and be like, wait a second, what was this? You know, Chris, you, you and a couple of others developed and brought and modified this 6E model. But by the time I came, I was learning about it from three people down the road. Right. How does that, it's like that um, gossip game, right? Or yes. the telephone game and how the message changes over time. And so, yeah, continually revisiting the original intent, I think is, is good and valuable for a team and not just for the leadership team, but for the team with teachers as well to have that conversation about, okay, what is the original intent of those three circles in the community of inquiry model, what do they mean for us in our program? And how does that even look in our program? And I think what the world of learning does well um, is they don't make decisions like this just based on what the previous person told them to do. I think what you all do is take a lot of feedback from learners and from your, from your teachers. And that kind of factors into some of your decisions. But in your experience and looking at achievement, student achievement, and where are students doing well, and what does that course look like, and what techniques does that teacher or course developer use? And so you're using all of that to inform your design of your lessons and, and your questions about, are the lessons really staying true to that original intent? And I think that's, that's something that you all do really well and, and helps with that process of making a model that works for you and for your learners. It's interesting that I think as we've, you know, we started out with 10 or 12 teachers, you know, and now we have, you know, 30 plus, you know, and we add them and we, you know, started with like five or six languages and have nine, you know, and we've added chemistry and we don't even add chemistry and calculus is like, that's 11 things, 11 languages we teach, you know, like, um, and I think one of the things that we're finding, especially like when we get in a bind and we have like an, a long-term sub, like, you know, we're, we're not going deep enough with some folks that it does feel like it's formulaic. And I think that's what brought this conversation about. You know, we have new teachers who don't realize that they can adjust and, and we want them to adjust, right? I mean, Olivia, I think that's kind of like what got us in this conversation a little bit is that we have to be more explicit, you know, that not everybody has been with us as long as, you know, some of the teachers who, you know, we've talked about. And it's, it's really, you know, for me, it's really important to go back to that space and say, yeah, these are the six E's and this is our intent. And like in some assignments, maybe one of the E's doesn't fit, like, and maybe, you know, you're going to, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's going to be like over a two week period, but like when we first started and people wanted to just like automatically like, Oh, I'm not doing those E's. I'm like, well, if you never do those E's, you're going to be missing a significant component of a learner experience. 
so there's that kind of both andness to it, like Olivia, that I think, you know, we struggle with that tension. And I don't know that it has to be either or, like it might be a little formulaic sometimes, but it's really like a structure, like, you know, so I think there has to be somewhere in between where the structure is in place, but the, it's more the understanding and we have to be explicit in our professional learning, which Chris, I think you've gotten really good at with you know, navigating that with people. And, and the adults aren't all gonna be at the same place at the same time. And I think we have to know that about, you know, the adults that we're working with to try and help them see this as a way to reach more kids rather than it's just one way to do it. But you guys pick up there. Well, maybe that's where the, cause we're talking about like adults building courses right now, which is obviously important. And previously, Pat, you were talking about um, making courses predictable for student navigation. And that's where like formula maybe is a good thing. And and yet those things are not going to be perfectly, like there is tension between the two. You can't just say, oh, we'll make navigation formulaic, but we won't make experience formulaic because it's going to overlap, right? Um, like, I don't think, personally, I haven't experienced much loss if our homepage is relatively uniform. If most, you know, we can have a piece of it that's customizable that the teacher's kind of stamp or image is on there somewhere. But if you click on the same place to find your assignments, I haven't, I haven't experienced yet that that's compromising learning experience or content. But when we get to like the E's, you know, we have six E's. 99% of our lessons have all of those E's. There are times that I feel like we're forcing something a little bit with one of those. And yet to get rid of it, which you've made very explicit, Chris, is like, you know, a welcomed thing. And so have you, Pat. But to get rid of it does change the student learning experience and does make it less predictable. And the teacher experience too, like, oh, I'm grading a little less this week. I'm grading a little more this week. So um, I think there are times where our desire to be predictable and easy net to navigate can come in conflict with um, our desire to be authentic in the learning experience. That's where that teacher presence piece, I think, is so, like that te teaching presence is so important because, you know, if you are going to, if, you know, if there's a need, and sometimes there is a need to say, you know what, we're not going to reflect yet because we're not there yet, right? So I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that reflection piece. I'm not going to get in there and express what I want. Um, I'm going to come back to that. We're going to go that next week. Um, but that's where that relationship, that you know, that interwoven, that the teacher is explicit enough inside. You know, I mean, we were fortunate. We do live sessions. So kids have that opportunity in the live session to build that, you know, every day. And, you know, every week they see the teacher and that's helpful. But so I think that there's that piece too. And, and that's where, like, if that teacher piece is real small where the teacher's not giving feedback or they're not giving clear directions or the students misunderstand, you know, like, like we put out a thing in one of our, school district thought a kid only got two live sessions in a whole semester. We got to change that language. It's like, thank you for that feedback. Um, so I think like, and that happens sometimes with the directions we might put in place for an assignment, or if we're going to skip something, then we could make it helpful, skip it every week. And it's like, so that teacher piece, the, the ability of the teacher to, you know, have that be very clear for kids. And they have to navigate. 
you know, and that's our responsibility as their support is to make sure they understand how to communicate. I think that's where in professional learning, that's where the role of the facilitator for that professional learning is crucial too, because if you're saying, here's our, here are our six E's and we want you to develop in these six E's, but as a part of, of helping people learn about the purpose behind those six E's, giving a lot of examples and, and some constructive feedback about how they might swap out an E for a different type of an activity or reasons they might, or what form that might take in an asynchronous course, or perhaps that um, discussion or explanation E happens during the live session. You know, like I think that becomes very essential in the professional learning when you're working with teachers or when teachers are helping each other is just helping to kind of uh, come up with constructive suggestions, examples, alternatives so that they feel a little bit of creative freedom uh, when they're developing their lessons. I know when I'm developing online content, I have to feel that flexibility and a little bit of freedom. I can't feel boxed in and locked in, even though I like that structure at first because it helps me get going. But then I need to be able to feel like I can branch out a little bit. So I just think that's an important part of the piece of professional learning when, when you're introducing lesson design or learning experience design. Well, that makes me think just about myself, like we were laughing there, you know, like we were talking about me, like I need a structure because otherwise nobody's gonna be able to follow my roadmap. You know, and I know that about myself. I, I, as a teacher, you know, as a leader. As a human. As a human <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like otherwise things, you know. People do. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're gonna be scattered all over the place. It's just like in parenting, you say like, kids are happy when they know what the boundaries are. You know, like you don't need to be overpowering about it, but like the boundary is like, when we sit down at the dinner table, you're gonna, these are the, the what we're gonna do. And this is how we're gonna behave together. And you know, this is the language you're gonna use at the dinner table, you know? And um, we're not gonna use street language when we sit down for a meal together. <laughs> we're gonna be civilized, you know? Um, so I think there's like different things, but once those boundaries are in place, the conversation can happen and everybody knows the same, everybody's playing on the same, with the same set of tools um, to work with. And it's so important for me, I, having that structure is, makes life doable. I have a question for both of you on the other side of the coin from structure. When you said Pat or Chris providing some examples models, you know, showing teachers like this is also possible. It could look like this. Do you, um, like when in the process, maybe you already sort of answered this. It sounds like early on structure and then maybe after people have gotten going like, hey, look at this cool idea. And how do you do that in a way that doesn't feel like um, intimidating or um, overwhelming or like you're expecting you want to show the just like with student work you want to like show examples of really good models you want to take that best sample but you also don't want everybody to feel like everything has to look like like not everything's going to look like that in the first iteration so maybe you've had a course that you've worked on over years and you've really built up and you're like this would be a great model for people to know what's possible but if I'm turning around and showing it to somebody who's it's their first time in canvas you know 
Yeah. Well, and I think that's a part of growth. And so when, you know, your first, if I'm creating my first online lesson, then it's probably going to be very mechanical and that's okay. And I think we let it be. And then, you know, maybe further in the course or further in the development process, the teacher can take more risks and start, you know, incorporating some other tools or maybe some other strategies that maybe they're, they're learning as they go. And maybe that's when you start, if you're guiding uh, um, a colleague or, a, or a, t- a teacher in developing content, then maybe that's when you start to show some examples. I mean, not at the outset, because it would be very overwhelming to say, hey, did you see this cool tool? Did you see you could do this? Did you see all these graphics? You can do? That's overwhelming. But if they've got a little bit of confidence and confidence in the mechanics of it, then they're probably wondering how can I do this better and how can I do this in a more dynamic way? And that's when readiness meets the example and the, and the opportunity. So I think just like with kids, I mean, when I, when I taught art, it was important that at the beginning of a project, I just didn't pull the group around and demonstrate how to do it start to finish because I would have ended up with 30 projects that looked exactly like my demo but sprinkle in technique demos, then pull people together to show possibilities, maybe in small groups as needed, as ready, and then branching from there. The other thing that I think would help Olivia is when teachers can share with other teachers. Like it doesn't always have to come from us, but one teacher showing another teacher, here's what worked for me this week. That really, that really helps too. I'm sure you see that in your well we we like did that last summer very explicitly you know pat suggested there were like four or five of us and some were not all world of learning but through the iu there were like four or five of us that were all building kind of like higher level courses whether it was a higher level language or an ap course and i was like why don't you guys set just like a standing weekly thing that's totally optional to come together and because in that case I wasn't necessarily supervising or supporting anybody's building I was one of the builders right mm-hmm. we came together once a week for like 20 minutes I mean it was really quick each would just pop our screen for four to five minutes each and say here's what I worked on this past week it was in a group too so I think um yeah that's a good reminder to do that I also would like think you know like yesterday Olivia you were you were saying that when you met with your PLCs that, you know, the teachers were saying how helpful, you know, their colleagues were in some of their thinking about. And so creating that, I, I do think, Chris, that's really important. And I think one of the things that's been kind of rolling through my mind as we've been having this conversation is um, like that you've been doing microcoursing for adults. And I see that as a way, like with Joel, that you've been able to say, well, this teacher's ready. Let's like, you know, this little bit of content over here might help you and then let's have a conversation, you know, so it's easy, it's quickly consumable, you know, like people can swipe through it on their phone and and kind of just let that like kind of fester. And I think as long, like- Marinate. Yeah, marinate, that's better. Better than fester. Yeah, that's why I need you guys, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, though. Yeah, yeah it does I mean, like, help. That that collegial connection. Well, it's just like, it's one of the circles in the community of inquiry, right? That peer-to-peer, student-to-student interaction does help. Oh, no, we've lost her. 
right. I have just lost it. <laughs> Pretty funny. We spend too much time together. We're like, oh, for <laughs> us in the virtual world, but it's just the opposite. We just spend too much time together. I know. It's, it's really great. It's bad. But I love these conversations. And I, you know, I, I think, um, Olivia, you breathe fresh air for me into this because you're young, you're enthusiastic, um, you know, and, and for me kind of, you know, I don't, I wouldn't call me like in the sunset, but like, I definitely, you know, have been doing this for a long time and it's kind of that I can become formulaic and I don't, and, and like, there's this refresh because you're coming in and you're saying, well, why, what, you know, it's like, you're coming in with these questions and it, it's so invigorating. It's so invigorating. And I think that you know, sometimes in schools, we like, we sit in these silos. And what I, what I love about what we do is we're not in a silo. And people might think that virtual is like, you see, you know, yeah, we spend too much time together, you know, and it's like, sometimes it's like, I have to put my teams on mute because I just need a minute, to, <laughs> you know, um, processing time. So, but these are such good conversations, just such good conversations. And I'm just really grateful for them. And I think, you know, as we think about getting bigger, you know, giving teachers those bite-sized chunks of information when they're ready, Olivia, is what I think I'm hearing you say, like, you know, and, and it's not like you're going to say, okay, here we go. Whole group world of learning. Everybody's going to do this piece right now. I mean, because we don't want to do that for kids. And I don't think we want to do it for adults. We want to meet people right where they are. And so I think as we continue to have conversations, that we kind of need to keep that in mind that um, not everybody's going to be ready at the same time. Just like, just like kids aren't all going to be ready for the content at the same time. Some of them might need an extra week in the module. And just the great thing about asynchronous, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you can offer that. Yeah. So um, these conversations, um, these conversations could go on and on, but we do have to have a little bit of a limit. Do you guys have any final, final thoughts about Mine is going to, like I, so many, I feel like sort of open up a can of worms, but I just, I'll leave, maybe this is my final thought. It keeps coming back around. And then each time we talk about something here, I went to a conference a couple of months ago and heard a teacher present about her asynchronous course. She's in person in a brick and mortar. She's a, like an 11th grade, I'm going to say an 11th grade English teacher. Um, she has a very core sort of course. And um, she was talking about how, like, she has created for herself, I don't think it's a district-wide thing, she's created for herself a model, you know, a design model, Chris, like the ease. And of course, the model itself is not her own. It comes from, you know, education research, but she's, she's like, adapted it for what it looks like on Canvas. And hers is to use the gradual release model. And so she starts with every lesson or every learning experience has an I do, which is the teacher providing information. Maybe it's sort of like our engage and explore. And then she's got a we do, which is going to be a discussion boards, you know, maybe um, interactive worksheets, uh, you know, demos, things like that. That's in the we do. And then she has a you do each time. And that's, you know, what we would look at as sort of like our elaborate. And then we, of course, have that reflection piece. So it's students doing something from scratch on their own, demonstrating that skill. And when she provided those that really helped me like look back on ours. And I want to say that out loud and recorded for others, because we talk so much about the ease that you mentioned in the last session, Pat, you're like, you know, it doesn't have to be the ease. Ultimately, mm -hmm. any good learning design thing, as you have really hammered, Chris, is, is probably follows a similar 
cycle of hooking students' attention, providing them with information, allowing them to engage with it, you know, allowing them to produce something or inviting them to produce something. Um, But like, if you're thinking about, (laughs) yeah, allow it to marinate. I'm going to keep going so (laughs) we don't get stuck there. Um, If you're thinking about like a district as a whole or or a, a department or a grade level team, like, you know, going into some of those different models that exist from different backgrounds and pedagogy and thinking about which one might be universal enough for your team, you can call it different things. You know, I liked that that one was three steps. So if you're looking for a starting place, I feel like that's a nice three step kind of starting place. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And I, I think for a uh, closing thought for me, I would just like to share, it's a little bit of promo, but I would just like to share that we are looking for, um, teachers who are interested in this kind of thing, interested in um, talking about how to design virtual learning experiences. In this case, for other teachers, um, a PLC that I'm starting up is the Jolt EDU Author Collaborative, looking for people who might want to create micro courses with us. But really, as a PLC, meeting as a group to talk about what makes good professional learning, what would make a good one-hour online workshop, And how could we do that and do that better so that we are meeting teachers' needs? So if you're interested in that, we'll put some information in the show notes about our microcourses and about that author collaborative, if that interests you. Great. I think that is a great way to close because I do believe that because we collaborate, we're better. And and that's kind of part of what we do every day is we really do listen, we hash things out, and hopefully it gives a better student experience in the end. So Olivia and Chris, thanks for being with me again. Um, We'll give people a break from our conversations and uh, maybe take a break and we'll look forward to getting back together and see how some of this stuff works out over the summer and fall. Thanks, Thanks, Pat. Thank you.